Hello and welcome to the Eastern Front. My name is Yulia Zoja. I am with the Middle East Institute and I'm joined today by my colleagues. Giselle Donnelly from the American Enterprise Institute. And, and Ali Burohash from AI. On our podcast, we talk about the many challenges to European peace that have erupted along a line running from the Baltic to the Black Sea, the Eastern Front, and about why those matter to the United States. If you enjoy this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. We're joined today by our friend Maria Tomac, who is the head of the national office of the Crimea platform appointed by the president of Ukraine, Zelensky. Um, she does uh, has been doing amazing work on uh, monitoring the situation in Crimea and beyond and is now, she'll tell us more about that in a minute, is now helping to monitor um, war crimes um, that are occurring um, uh, in Ukraine as we um, are speaking. Um, but before we um, turn to Maria, I want to turn to Dalibor first. Um, what's your question? question and what's your view? Julia, thank you so much. And Maria, it's a, it's a real pleasure to, to have you on the on the podcast. Uh, we are going to talk about Crimea. We are going to talk about the human rights violations that you are documenting. Uh, you put out a, a very compelling report that looks at some of the details of the of the, of, of, of the situation in, in Crimea. But perhaps before doing that, it might be worth taking a step back and look at the uh, situation in, in, in Russia's war against Ukraine more generally. It is the impression of many people in the West that just as Russia's military offensive has stalled, uh, Russians uh, have started to have recourse to more brutal and, and more indiscriminate forms of warfare, sometimes even targeting civilians uh, deliberately, it seems like in the city of, of Irpin, or either by stopping uh, the humanitarian aid coming to Kherson, or, or, or by essentially sabotaging the evacuation of, 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 of Mariupol. It would be really useful to hear from you whether this impression is correct and also what the expectation of Ukrainians is, if, 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 if you know, whether these, these, these white widespread abuses are going to continue, escalate, and and, and how Ukrainians and Ukrainian military are, are, are going to, to respond. Hello, and thank you for having me here, and thank you for covering the situation in Ukraine, which is, I think, a very important topic for the whole world, including the U.S., of course. Um, so, it, indeed, um, what we can see um, in terms of human rights abuses and possible war crimes in Ukraine now, it just, uh, it's just awful and terrifying. Um, however, I should say that um, I'm not I cannot compare uh, very accurately now because I, I did not conduct any like analysis like that. But still, uh, if you read the story, the history of the Chechen wars in Russia, you can see pretty much similar um, way of conduct of the Russian army. 
So when civilians are targeted, when civilian infrastructure is targeted, unfortunately, it's not something new for the federal Russian government. It just looks very similar to me, to those reports that I've read from, from that war. And um, um, again, we, we may speculate why Putin and his allies are doing that. Um, of course, it's a mean of pressure. Uh, and I don't think that it is done like occasionally. I'm absolutely sure that it is done deliberately. Uh, and uh, probably it's the way to make pressure on Ukraine. Just now, a few hours ago, I believe, there was uh, another statement from the side of Russia uh, in which they explain what do they want from Ukraine. They want uh, Ukraine to acknowledge Crimea and so-called LPR and DPR as like Russian lands. Um, they want Ukraine to refuse from any um, international organizations and coalitions like NATO and EU. Again, it's not something new uh, and it's something that we've been struggling like for years. And the third point was about appointing um, a pro-Russian pro politician, uh, Yuri Boyko, as a prime minister of Ukraine. So that's what they say we should do in order to stop this mass killing. Uh, Ukraine, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's, it has already been stated that Ukraine will refuse that, um, that um, kind of blackmail uh, as Ukraine refused uh, this sort of blackmail before. Uh, but anyways, uh, the, the fact is that uh, there, despite many attempts to, uh, to organize the so-called Green Corridor, humanitarian corridor, in order to evacuate civilians from those places where uh, the situation is the worst one, like around Kyiv or in eastern Ukraine in the city of Mariupol, or in some cities in the eastern Ukraine, Kherson region, all those attempts failed. And which is what is what impresses me uh, again about the strategy of Russia is that uh, when we look at the Russian uh, um, state media, they all claim that these attempts to organize green corridors failed because of the uh, Nazi Nazis in Ukraine. Uh, so, uh, yes, and um, I believe that itself this, um, uh, this um, uh, blocking of evacuation that may amount to, to war crime probably, but the side of that, we can see that the situation is so dramatic and so awful in those territories that were uh, captured like throughout these 10 days by Russian army. Uh, again, it's in the eastern, uh, in, in uh, mostly in eastern Ukraine, in uh, northern Ukraine, and in southern Ukraine. Uh, so, because the, the uh, first of all, because of the civil population that um, is under the pressure, under the shellings, people are used as human shields. Again, it's not something new for Russia because we've seen we've seen they've been using it in Crimea in 2014. And our colleagues from human rights NGOs, they even 
uh, filed um, uh, one of the kind of applications to the International Criminal Court, specifically regarding the um, using uh, of human shields by Russia in Donbass and in Crimea uh, as a tool of a war, basically. So they also place some um, uh, some like items uh, to fire rockets and missiles in the private yards. It is something. It's again. It may amount to war crime, and we have seen it before already. Uh, according to the signals that we get from those newly captured territories, the uh, some of the civilians um, are like are under the violence. They face violence from the side of uh, of new, like of the occupying uh, power, and they behave very brutally. They deprive people of food, of uh, of medicines, of water, and they cut off uh, the supply, the water supply, the electricity, the gas supply. And Ukraine is still very pretty cold. It's like minus five, minus three, and so on. So it's really cold. And because of the very intense shelling, people stay in the um, basements, like sometimes for one week, uh, including women and children, and they, they have no access to proper foods, to water. And uh, it's it's all the time. I mean, it's um, very painful to see because uh, if if before that it was from many people, it was very much far away. Uh, for instance, from the capital of Kyiv, of Ukraine, Kyiv, right? So it was in eastern Ukraine, that intense war, not so intense, but still there were shellings, there were, you know, the shootings and, and so on. Now it's it's in, cap in the capital, you know, in those neighborhoods, which were um, very cozy, where lots of people used to live, as we say, uh, sleeping neighborhoods. There are no administrative or anything else buildings or cultural centers, but it's just like place where people live. And uh, I should say also that in these places, which are un, um, in the outskirts of Kyiv, uh, there were many people uh, who already fled from a war back in 2014 from Crimea and from Donbass, as flats are cheaper there as in like in the center, in the downtown of Kyiv. Therefore, many people that could afford, they bought some flats there. And now they again have to escape and have to flee. Um, but um, I believe that the level of destructions and of shellings is uncomparable, of course, with Donbass. The war is indeed full-fledged, and uh, it's in like all over the place, mostly, uh, with exception, at least as of now, uh, the Western Ukraine. So the western, uh, southern western part of Ukraine now is relatively safe. That's why we have another humanitarian problem that like dozens, thousands of people are trying to get here. And it creates another problems that Ukraine was not prepared to, just to be very honest. It's like IDPs, like huge number of IDPs. They have to live somewhere and uh, it's a problem. However, here we have to thank to Poland, for instance, and to other our neighbors that appear to be much more ready to this um, crisis. And uh, there is like more or less possibility for people to be hosted um, 
outside Ukraine, and uh, it's we're very like helpful, uh, thankful to to those countries who host uh, our refugees, like Poland, Slovakia, Romania, etc. Maria, if, if we could turn to Crimea, um, you know, from an American or Western perspective, uh, the focus since 2014 has very much been on the fighting in Donbass. And uh, I think many people are surprised by the success that the Russians are having in their breakout from Crimea. If you could give us kind of a uh, an assessment or an update or a primer on what's happened in Crimea since 2014, I think it would be very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, indeed, uh, the focus uh, was uh, pretty much on Donbass. Um, however, I should say that I think um, we managed to a bit to um, to maybe um, to balance uh, this um, accent uh, by establishing Crimea platform, uh, which lo- was launched in uh, August uh, of the previous year of uh, 2020, and that's how we like brought. It was the initiative of President of Ukraine Zelensky, and it was um, conducted and supported by various governmental institutions. Um, and I think basically that's uh, that was one of the things that made uh, Putin very angry, because for all these years they were doing their best in order to Crimea be forgotten by the international community. Just leave us with Crimea, like, and that's it. Uh, And when Ukraine started to very intensively go back to this issue, like in a very politically active manner, um, I think that made Russia even more mad. Um, That's something that was obvious via mm, the various statements of the Russian governmental representatives. And uh, so it was very obvious. Um, And um, now what we see, it's um, unfortunately, I I wouldn't say that it's a surprising for us. I mean, for those people who were monitoring the situation in Crimea, because uh, we were observing it all the time. And it was in all the possible statements that Russia is turning Crimea into a military base. And not, it's not even about, uh, not only about uh, Ukrainian civil society organizations or, or governmental agencies. It was basically stated by the UNGA, uh, United Nations General uh, Assembly. For the previous three years, they've been adopting the separate resolution on the militarization of Crimea. And it was very clear that uh, this peninsula which uh, was famous uh, in Ukraine and before that during the times of uh, Soviet Union as a place for like a great vacation because of the sea, because of the mountains and very good uh, air and so on and so forth. So it was literally turning into a place where Russia stores weapons, uh, uh, military vehicles, uh, where the forceful conscription into the Russian army is taking place. <clears throat> and even before this large-scale war started, uh, there were reports from uh, civil society organizations that some of the Crimean residents uh, who were conscripted to the Russian army, they were sent to Syria and they died there during the war in Syria. So 
again, uh, the fact that now Crimea is used as a military base is uh, not very much surprising. Uh, but um, uh, how we can see that is, uh, first of all, military personnel. So uh, some people that were captured, uh, some soldiers, uh, Russian soldiers that were captured by Ukrainian army, Ukrainian forces, are identified as those uh, having like Crimea origin. Uh, however, I should say that uh, mostly uh, these people uh, have received uh, Crimean kind of residence uh, illegally. So they obtained it illegally. They are Russian uh, citizens who came to Crimea after the beginning of the occupation. And after that, they became like Crimean residents. Uh, however, there are also those people who are originally like, I mean, Ukrainian citizens in Crimea who shifted to uh, Russian citizenship after the beginning of the occupation. They're also engaged in this war. And also it was reported just yesterday by Security Service of Ukraine that one of the groups of the um, occupying army that was destroyed, uh, there were a large number of those officers of Security Service who uh, betrayed the Ukrainian state and shifted to uh, Russia uh, back in 2014. Um, and uh, also, uh, as for Crimea, we can see that uh, hospital, hospitals in northern Crimea are fully packed with wounded uh, soldiers, Russian soldiers, and morgues uh, that were also launched uh, right before the war started is just full of dead bodies in Armansk, in Krasnoparakovsk. It's in the northern part of Crimea, but not only there. Uh, in some of the hospitals in Simferopol, for instance, the hospitals are also uh, dedicated just specifically for one for healing the soldiers. So not civilians are not able even to come there and to get some some aid. Um, also, we can see that um, in just so very like purely military um, uh, aspect, Crimea is used to launch rockets, missiles, some aircraft that are attacking Ukrainian forces, and in particular uh, southern Ukraine. And of course, uh, with those uh, servicemen, the drama is that uh, Crimean residents. Uh, Citizens of Crimea, basically, citizens of Ukraine, basically, as as Ukraine considers them, because Ukraine does not acknowledge the this Russian citizenship obtained after 2014, so they are sent to a war against their own state, and that's I think a pretty dramatic dramatic situation. And also, what we can see is that uh, what Russia is doing very very well is propaganda. So it intensified uh, in Crimea uh, a lot. Um, of course, the key narratives uh, are repeating these uh, Russian uh, lies, uh, sorry for, for that undiplomatic expression, but still about so-called uh, anti-Nazi special operation in Ukraine. Uh, so they are repeating that all over the place. Um, and even in the schools, um, there are currently there are lessons uh, so-called uh, about lessons about Russian history, something like this, where they bring uh, all that narratives and all that perspective, like Ukraine is a failed state ruled by Nazis and so on and so forth, and Russia is a great state uh, who will save everyone, rescue the world. 
and children are getting brainwashed. And just today, it, it was not included in our in this report that you referred to, uh, it, because we received it uh, today that um, uh, some of the uh, school teachers that are uh, considered to be pro-Ukrainian like this, uh, they are they receive some threats or they are called for a conversation with the Federal Security Service of Russian Federation and with uh, law enforcement, occupying law enforcement. Uh, and some of them even get fired because of the suspicion of loyalty uh, towards Ukraine. So that's that's the uh, general gen general um, situation in Crimea. It's of course it's specifically affected. And by the way, one more thing important is that um, those people there's not so much of those people left who are uh, able somehow express and. Um, so to say, um, to be active in terms of uh, civilian uh, rights, uh, civil rights, uh, but still, still there are some, and they are facing the pressure as well. Uh, some new people uh, got arrested, uh, new, two new people got arrested, and some of those people who were, again, non-loyal uh, to the occupying power, they got threats again. So... Uh, it's obvious that it just it's a parallel campaign so uh, as russia is waging this uh, huge huge war uh, in the territory of ukraine the occupied territories is under the specific uh, pressure by various means um, there is also donbas uh, the, the those territories that were occupied prior to that but unfortunately uh, in Crimea, we have more possibilities to monitor situation, the situation than in Donbass, because there the situation is even more complicated in terms of people, uh, the ability, the possibilities even to report some of the information, even under the cover. Um, so thank you for this overview of, of Crimea. It does sound to me um, just like the Soviet Union in, in 2022. Um but uh, I am also curious, and I think it's important for us to understand how your work has changed. Um, you were based in Kiev. Um, you're now in Lviv. Uh, your uh, you were um, your main work was to look at Crimea. Um, you just offered us an overview, so clearly you're you're still managing to find time to monitor that. Um, but you were telling us a little bit about um, how your work has changed before we started this podcast. So can you describe to us um, what um, you're dealing with as um, as a professional looking at human rights violations and as a citizen now in Viv, um, how your work has changed and also how we and our listeners um, in, in your assessment can help um, with the work that you're doing. Actually, we came to Lviv uh, together with my colleague Tamila Tasheva. We came in Lviv uh, prior to the war. Uh, just to conduct some events dedicated to Crimea. And actually, uh, when the war started, we were here and we decided uh, not to uh, come back to Kyiv at that point. Um, and now, actually, our team is dispersed. Uh, we still work as a governmental agency, as a governmental institutions, but from various places, like from various cities. 
and um, it's a it's pity to say that uh, part of our team is um, in very dangerous condition and they cannot uh, flee from there for various reasons. Uh, but um, I should say that um, uh, maybe for the first time in my life, I can say clearly, it's not because I work in that presidential uh, like vertical, as we say, but because indeed when I look at the uh, president, uh, the Minister of Defense, uh, the, uh, at the, the Minister of uh, Reintegration of the Temporary Occupied Territories, Minister of Foreign Affairs. I'm really proud uh, to be like a citizen of this country and part of that government. Uh, maybe you know that all these people are in Kyiv, despite all the threats for them. And I think that's symbolically that's so much important for the whole society, for the whole Ukrainian society, it inspires people to fight. And um, indeed, like, according to my feelings, the whole country reminds me of Maidan. You know, uh, when Maidan revolution was in Ukraine, people were very united, they were helping each other. It was all built on these horizontal connections, uh, but it was more or less local it was not so much dispersed throughout all, all the society but now it's like really the whole ukrainian society is one huge maidan and even in those cities that are now captured by russia more or less under the control of the occupying powers like novakahovka bilokurakene in southern ukraine in eastern ukraine people are going to the peaceful rallies you know, under the gunpoints, even though uh, Russian army does shootings, but people go just with Ukrainian flags, singing uh, anthems, anthem, and it's just amazing. I'm so proud of this courage of, of my, like, our people, Ukrainians. Um, so, um, yes, and we, as, a, as an institution, we, we, indeed, we do the monitoring, we try to uh, inform like the society, media, and international community, aside of the, of course, the presidential office on the developments uh, in Crimea. And we still have people who are, again, brave enough to communicate with us, not openly, of course, and to um, report about the developments in Crimea. But the sad thing is that we are not, I mean, the state is not able now to provide uh, some services to the Crimea and to the Ukrainian citizens in Crimea. Uh, for instance, uh, those checkpoints that were um, uh, acting to, you know, to provide this crossing the administrative borderline between mainland Ukraine and Crimea. They were destroyed in the very first day of this big war by Russian troops. So uh, it's impossible to get to mainland Ukraine, um, like according with the acting law. And also because of that shellings um, that were made on checkpoints, uh, it's impossible now to provide administrative services that were available there because there were uh, special places for providing administrative services, so-called one window for uh, Ukrainian citizens in Crimea. And they could get like their various services related to documents, like uh, obtaining the foreign the passports for foreign travels, like obtaining Ukrainian passports to register the effect of the birth of the child, and so on and so forth, uh, like to to get the dri driving license and, and and many others. So it's it's unavailable now because it just bombed. 
Um, and uh, they cannot also get vaccinated by the uh, vaccines that are recognized by uh, the international health organizations. But maybe, as you know, in the Russian Federation and uh, uh, territories under the control of Russia, there's only Sputnik available, this vaccine which is not recognized by, um, like, which is not authorized by the important institutions, health institutions. So that's that's very sad thing. But however, we just, we just try to be in touch and to help uh, with what we can. Um, and uh, for instance, we launched uh, jointly with um, uh, our colleagues from civil society, mostly it's on their behalf, the hotline for the students uh, f- coming from Crimea that were uh, studying and enrolled in Ukrainian universities in, in the mainland Ukraine, and just uh, helping them to find a way to evacuate if they are located in those regions that are specifically under the shellings, because now it's just you cannot cross uh, the administrative borderline to Crimea, as I said, and it's like it's a huge problem. I'm, I'm afraid we are running low on time, and I, I really do regret that we don't have more space to discuss other related issues, for example, the situation of Crimean Tatars, which obviously have received a lot of international attention. Uh, Mustafa Jamilev, the leader of Crimean Tatars, was awarded the Sakharov Prize from the European Parliament in 2017. And it seems more than plausible that this particular ethnic group is having a very difficult time at this at this present time as as, as Russia is launching this 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 wholesale war against against Ukraine. So so hopefully we can have you back again at some point. And I want to just finish with one very quick and simple question to maybe widen the the aperture a little bit, which is is that in the West there um you know especially in, in the Twitter sphere there's this sort of debate about how and if we should be holding Russian leaders and officials accountable for the war crimes and, 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 and human rights violations that we are seeing every day in in Ukraine. And there are some who would argue that, uh, you know, we shouldn't be talking really about sending Putin and Gerasimov and uh, Shoigu and Lavrov to The Hague, because that is itself a form of escalation that sort of raises the stakes and makes it harder for Putin to fight an off-ramp. And it's, it's an argument that has a surprising amount of currency in, in some circles. So what would you tell to those in the West who find that argument plausible? Uh, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just looking at the portrait uh, that is hanging on the wall behind you of Ronald Reagan, and I'm wondering what he would say. Um, I think that, um, like, for, for Ukraine, it's obvious. Even before this war, big war started, it was obvious that Putin has to sit in Den Haag uh, and he sh- should be should appear behind the bars. Uh, but now I think that he um, he decided to risk to go on risk and um, to to go as far as it's possible. So he will not stop. And I'm not afraid that by launching any mechanisms like international tribunal, which is decided now, that it would aggravate the situation. No, I think that's that should be done and it's very necessary. Otherwise, all the 
building like building blocks of the of our civilization which is built upon the idea of rule of law it's just uh, empty place and also i think that um, it's it's important to understand that if ukraine fails it's not just a dangerous thing for other for instance eu countries in terms of just basic security in military terms but it will be a huge moral disaster for the whole, at least Europe and the West, I think, including the US, because if uh, the this world, the, the Western world, if you wish, will um, betray, so to say, Ukraine or leave Ukraine for Russia to be destroyed, um, it will be a huge moral disaster, which will not be cannot be overcome so easily. So that's a, I think that's why it's huge threat for for the US as well. Maria, thank you so much for this message. Um, I just have to say this for the record: uh, the poster behind me is one of Václav Havel. Oh, I, you know there are likens so many ways. <laughs> I think he would have seen it with you know at least as much as much I'm clarity okay. as, that's, that's, uh, as, as, as 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 Ronnie. So. Thank you so much for this. And now I'll have to hand it over to Julia so that we can wrap up in a organized and, 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 and well-polished form. Maria Tomak, thank you so much for joining us. We hope um, you can join us soon again um, to explain to us uh, what we are missing on the Eastern Front. Um, but I think the headline for this um, episode should be your wise words, a moral disaster. From me, Julia Zorja, um, and from my friends, and Giselle Donnelly, and also Giselle Donnelly. And Alvaro Hatch. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Eastern Front, a podcast dedicated to security challenges that have erupted along the line from the Baltic to the Black Sea. You can find more episodes and additional content on our website, AI.org, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Please get in touch with us on Twitter using the hashtag EasternFrontPod in one word. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>